Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word. As a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The following was recorded on Sunday, January 21st, 2024. Today's message title, Christianity 101, Prayer, When, Why, and How, Part 3, a study from the book of Philippians, Chapter 4. Well, brothers and sisters, and all who might be here today, just out of curiosity or watching online out of curiosity, thank you for coming. Um, Today, we're going to be jumping into the third sermon on the topic of prayer. In the last two weeks, we have talked about prayer as a form of adoration, or another word for that would be worship, and prayer as a form of confession, both confessing who God is, but also confessing our sins uh, and asking for forgiveness. And if you want to catch up on those, you can watch the videos online or for that or the podcast. But today we're going to be diving into prayer as a part of thanksgiving. Um, and so we're going to be dwelling on Philippians chapter four, actually verses four through eight. And um, I want us to start reading this. Uh, I want us to start off, uh, start us off by reading a passage of the Bible that will inform our sermon today. We're going to be jumping kind of all over the place. The verses will be on the screen. Um, but let me say this in the beginning. I think this, uh, as we dive into prayer, uh, I think especially this prayer as a form of thanksgiving is desperately needed in our day and age. Um, what did I write something wrong? <laughs> Gabriela is like criticizing my slides over here. Uh, no, <laughs> but um, thanksgiving, I think, is desperately needed among us. I, I was struck by the song and didn't think about this before today, but we were singing living hope. And one of the things that we were singing about is the end is written, right? We know how it ends. And so we find ourselves almost living a story where we have kind of cheated and we've gone to the last chapter. We know how the story ends. And then we go back to where we are and we're living the scenes of like, we know the victory is coming. We know it's already been won. We know how the story ends. And yet here we are living in the story. And I think this is desperately needed for us as we live in a day and age. uh, I don't know about this. Have you noticed that people don't necessarily applaud you for trying to be godly in today's day and age? Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're not like, oh, Diego, awesome. You're being a godly young man. That's amazing. Cheering for you at work or anything like that. We might do that at church, but not necessarily at society at large. People, it turns out, won't necessarily like you if you decide to not be like everybody else. People tend to maybe celebrate you when you're making steps and little progress and you're getting better slowly but surely. But even just in, in general, in the world, what happens if, if you start to make progress where you surpass, surpass where people are at, they start to go silent in their applause for you and start to sometimes envy you, right? And especially if they've been stagnant for years. Now, what we find ourselves in is that uh, Paul the Apostle talks about the Christian life like a race, and we have to be faithful runners running within the rules. But here's what we find, like uh, 
like like one of my cousins, right? He when when Iceland made it to the World Cup in football, everybody in Iceland was involved. Like everybody was like, yeah. Right? Um, when you find Olympians or soccer players playing and and they're representing you, you you see that a lot of people have a lot of applause for them, right? They will they will cheer them on. If you see uh, people running marathons, you'll see them handing out water to the marathon runners as they run, and they're chucking it as they run, right? But if you decide to make the pursuit of your life uh, godliness, to grow in the knowledge and faithfulness of Jesus, uh, you won't necessarily have people uh, cheering you on or applauding you or handing you water bottles as you run. They might throw the bottles at you as you run, but they're not necessarily happy with people pursuing godliness in today's day and age. And so as I was thinking about prayer as a form of thanksgiving, I was struck by this, that life is hard. Can I get an amen to that? Anybody realize that? And all the young ones are like, what? <laughs> yes, I do agree. My allowance is pretty low. No, uh, um, but life is hard. Life is hard. And I, I was thinking to myself, okay, what is, how important is prayers of thankfulness? Well, it is very important because either we will be crushed by the weight of a broken world around us, or God will give us eyes to see something and someone to be thankful for. And uh, I think we have to learn this amazing privilege that we have access to, to turn to prayer in thankfulness and not only turn to prayer in faith, in thankfulness, but grow in thankfulness through prayer. So would you stand with me as we read Philippians chapter four, verses four through eight? What is going on with the computer? Let me see. Oh man, this is not good. Sorry, this is awkward. Ugh. There we go. It would have been bad if the computer ran out of battery right in the middle of this, the sermon. There we go. Philippians chapter four, verses four through eight. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So this is the word of God to us today. You may be seated. Uh, I don't know about you, but this last verse, as I read these descriptors, uh, the apostle Paul here to the Philippian church 2000 years ago, um, not only do we get the privilege to learn what he was teaching the Philippian church back then, but also we get to apply this to our own lives. And um, I, I was thinking to myself as I was reading these verses this week, just kind of getting convicted over like, just thinking to myself, man, if, if we took some of the challenges that the Bible presents to us more seriously, as, as I was reading this this week, I couldn't help but wonder how much of the media I consume or the social media I consume could fit into these categories that the apostle Paul 
lays out for us in verse eight alone, like something true, something honorable, something just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent and worthy of praise. He says, think about these things. And I don't know about you, but uh, I see this list and I don't exactly think about Disney Plus or Netflix when I see this list, but I, I think about just God, man, how much do I actually give attention to what is the good in this world? Again, this is a challenge for us to think about spending our time and our energy on something that truly, truly matters. Because many die without having ever lived. Like one of the songs that we were singing, uh, what does it say? I was breathing, but I wasn't living. Was it something like that? Like that was such a good line. Like I was breathing, but not alive <laughs> like, until I met you. And so what we find that many die without having ever really lived and many succeed in many things only to find out that the things that they did succeed in doesn't matter in context with eternity. And so my prayer this week for us is that Jesus would make us strange people that we would grow in Thanksgiving as we bring our needs and our wants to God, but also that we would praise him for what we already have and what cannot be taken away from us, uh, no matter the circumstances. Because I was thinking to myself, okay, how can we grow in the prayer of Thanksgiving in a broken world? And especially knowing that I'm preaching to some of you, some of you have been in limbo as you've sought asylum here and you've been waiting for over a year in a hotel room, just waiting for someone to give you an answer. Can you stay or can you not? Some of you have had to flee from countries where you could be put to death for worshiping Jesus as Christ, as God. And so I was thinking to myself, how do you preach Thanksgiving? It's, it's a broken world, right? Because I don't want to just preach and say, smile more. Like, I don't want to just pretend, fake it till you make it or something like that. I want to like, okay, how, what does God have for us in this form of prayer that is Thanksgiving? And notice that this list that he's talking about, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, worthy of praise, all these things in verse eight, it's, it's said in the context about prayer. So what is prayer? Prayer is turning not only to truth, but the very author of all truth. Turning to the one who is the very definition of what is honorable, what is just, and what is pure, and what is commendable, and what is excellent, and what is praiseworthy. Who is that other than God himself? Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. And notice how he starts talking about prayer. It almost feels like an outrageous command. Uh, I don't know about you, when you read some of the Bible passages and you find yourself like, I just find it interesting that in the Old Testament, God like commands his people to have fun and, and like praise him. Like, and we find this, one of these commands here in the very start of our text, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So some of you may have walked in here today having a rough week. And if, I wa if you walked in here and I would sort of put my finger in your face and say, hey, rejoice, rejoice, be happy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That would, we would kind of be like, who are you? What are you, <laughs> what are you, what are you talking about? You, you can't command me to be rejoiceful. Like you don't know what I'm going through. But here's the apostle Paul and he's telling us to rejoice. And I said, surely enough, there's some theologian that can get me a loophole here. Someone who knows Greek or something. 
Maybe they didn't translate the words well enough. Maybe always doesn't mean always in the Greek, right? I was trying to find loopholes for us. Maybe they mistranslated it. Turns out, maybe it's like, well, what if you meant rejoice most of the time, right? That's more reasonable. Rejoice most of the time. That, that's that's majority of the time, but that's not all the time because life is full of pain. Life is full of suffering. I looked at the Greek. I looked at what theologians have said, other people smarter than me. And they're like, no, that actually always in the Greek means always. Just like, ah, okay. Maybe they mistranslated the word rejoice, right? Maybe it's not like really rejoice because you can't just command me to rejoice. Nope. Looked at the Greek, no loophole there either. Like, he tells us to rejoice, be reasonable, to not be anxious. <laughs> and I kept thinking to myself, we're in Iceland. <laughs> we are world champions in antidepressant consumption per capita in the world. <laughs> like, don't tell us to rejoice. <laughs> we are masters of being unreasonably anxious all the time. How can he command us to not be anxious and rejoice? Well, again, this too is set in the context of prayer. As he doesn't just tell us what to stop doing, but he also tells us what to replace these things with. Right? And I don't know about you, but I'm not here today pointing the fingers at you saying, you all need to get your act together. I'm reading this text saying like, ooh, I need to grow on this, right? He says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, I think when it comes to the spiritual world around us, that Hollywood has had more of an influence on the church than the church has had influence on Hollywood. Um, I don't know about you, but what are the images that you, that come to your mind when I say the devil, like how many, how many of you, I know I've, okay. Shouldn't make the mistake of asking you guys. Cause you never respond, but man, a lot of us, we think about a small guy wearing a red spandex suit with horns and a, a, a big fork for some reason. Yeah. You know? And for spiritual battles, a lot of us, we've watched Hollywood movies, right? Anybody watch like The Exorcist in here? Yeah? No one wants to raise their hands? Oh, Ellen, Ellen needs prayer. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, we think of spiritual battles like that, like Hollywood versions of spiritual battles, like 12-year-old girls levitating off their beds, spinning their head, throwing out vomit. That's what spiritual battle looks like. And for some reason, we need like holy water, whatever that is. Uh, and we, we say, the Christ, the, the, what, what does he say? The, the name of Christ, the love of Christ compels you or something like that. Like we have this recipe of how to do spiritual battle, battle. And I certainly, you know, you read your Bibles and you'll find places in there that seem like very, very dramatic. Like someone demon possessed, living in the tombs, chained up, still breaking the chains. Okay. I mean, I understand where those Hollywood, uh, like Hollywood uh, stories may have come from, right? And there's been a couple of times in my life where, I felt demonic possession, like seeing that in that type of way in my life. But I think there's another type of spiritual battle going on that is way less noticeable. 
And it doesn't revolve around taking control of your body, but rather it seeks to affect and infect your mind and your heart, your head and your heart, which eventually may lead to some horrible sins being committed with your body. And this, I think, is the less noticeable non-Hollywood version of a spiritual battle taking place in all of Iceland today. But it's equally as dangerous. If the devil and his demons can cripple you by filling your heart with fear and anxiety, if he can take away your peace and your praise, and he can keep you there, then he doesn't need to possess your body. You won't do anything. And if he can control your head by getting you to think of lies rather than truth, or be obsessed with the horrid instead of the honorable, and the perverted instead of the pure, or the explicit rather than what is excellent, he can, again, he doesn't have to control your body if he can fill your mind with these things. Like Jesus put it this way. He's like, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. That which comes from within, out of a heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. So what is Jesus saying there? He's saying we're not sinners because we've sinned. We sin because we're sinners. Sin doesn't happen to us. It flows out of us. And with that in mind, the devil doesn't need to control your body if he can simply choose what fills your head and your heart, just let that ferment there for a while. And eventually what's in here will come out in the way we live. And so oddly enough, the apostle Paul, he calls us to join a fight against spiritual realities with prayer. (laughs) Prayers of supplication to fight our anxiety by asking God for what we need, for what we worry about, And we'll talk more about that next week as we go into into that form of prayer. But he also calls us to fight this war, oddly enough, through thanksgiving. Like, I don't know about you, but when I imagine a Christian turning in prayer and being thankful, I, I don't exactly imagine like a Viking ready to fight a war. Like I just, that doesn't seem like a war image to me. But here he's saying, no, fight this spiritual forces all around us that would want to fill your head and your heart with the idea that there's nothing worth being thankful for. And what is the fruit? A form of peace that surpasses understanding. A form of peace that I can't explain to you. Like that's, that's what surpassing understanding means. I can't help you understand. Like a form of peace you can't just know about in theory. You have to understand and experience in Jesus Christ. And this is one of the fruit of prayer. God can bless not only by changing seeming losses into victories or bless you with physical blessings when he may provide in miraculous ways, but also he may provide peace that you can't get anywhere else. And in John 14, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them 
be afraid. So what is he saying there? There's a form of counterfeit peace that the world offers, not lasting, right? I'm not offering that. I'm offering what you truly, truly need. And again, I quote this all the time and I never write it down, but it's like one of my favorite quotes from Augustine of Hippo in North Africa and like 1700 years ago. It's that you've made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. What is Jesus saying here? I've offered peace that can only be found in me. When we come to Jesus, we find ourselves getting satisfied as we're doing what we're created for. We're having communion with God. And in it, we find satisfaction because the reality is we don't only have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. How many of you have heard that reference? We have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. But the problem is it's not only God-shaped, it's God-sized. And you can try to fill that up with all the world has to offer, but like, uh, where's Corinius? Is, is he in here somewhere? Like the testimony of Corinius last week, we, when we were baptizing him, he was like, God, let me taste of all that the world has to offer only to find myself in need of his grace. There are certain things that only God can give us. Only a right relationship with God can do and no counterfeit can fill that hole. And C.S. Lewis, he had this thought-provoking, uh, thought-provoking thought, <laughs> yeah, I guess, uh, for my fellow, uh, uh, not my fellow, I guess, C.S. Lewis was Irish, right? Yeah, so, so the icon of the Irish brothers, brothers, brother and sister visiting us today. But he put it this way. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. So your basic need, what you need most in life, what you were created for was a perfect relationship with God. And in prayer, we can be obsessed with all the physical changes that are happening around us that prayer can bring. We can be obsessed with the money that we need provided in the time of need, or perhaps bullies who need to stop bullying us or circumstances that need to change or physical healing that makes life more bearable or delays death. And all of them are definitely reasons to be thankful. But the biggest blessing of prayer is that it solves our most fundamental need. Our relationship with God is restored as we repent and experience the forgiveness of Jesus and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that starts teaching us and transforming us. But notice what C.S. Lewis, and I don't want to treat him like scripture. He by, certain, <laughs> by no means is he inspired, but notice he says, if we find ourselves with a desire, then nothing in this world can satisfy. A lot of people will never turn to God nor experience the fountain of joy is found in prayer because they've never gotten to the point where, we, where they feel that need. For a lot of people, they think, man, I'll be happy once I have a girlfriend. I remember thinking that at like 12. When I get a girlfriend, I'll finally be happy. Then people get girlfriends and they're like, my, my life is still lacking things. Who knew? Uh, maybe if I, may, when I marry, when I get a wife, I'll be happy. And then you see some people in marriages and they think, ah, oh, if I could just get out of this marriage, I'd be happy, right? right? Or they'll be like, oh no, you know what? I have a wife, that's awesome. What we need is kids. Kids will make me happy. And uh, Ellen is back there like, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, 
Like we think, oh, kids, they will make me happy. Oh, no, not, but there's something still lacking. Okay, more kids, they will make me happy, right? If I get a handball team of kids together or we can start a band together, then I'll be happy. No, then you start thinking, oh, when these kids go out of the house, then I'll be happy. Or you start thinking, ah, oh, if we just got a bigger house, that, that's the problem. We have enough kids, we just need a bigger house, or we need a nicer car, or ah, oh, maybe I need a better job. That's going to make me happy. Or oh, man, you know what? It's not about the job. It's actually about retirement. When I retire, then I'm going to be happy. And so that's how most people spend their life. They're just chasing a carrot. That's just always around the corner. Like happiness is about to come. You just, it's always right there, right? And then you get glimpses into these like celebrities that seemingly have it all. Like Jim Carrey had this famous quote. He was saying like, I wish everybody could be what famous and rich so that they would know this is not what joy is found or something like that. <laughs> My paraphrase. So for some people, they never find themselves realize that they have a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy because they're just always chasing the carrot around the corner. And for some, like the testimony we heard last week about the baptism, the grace of God is revealed by him giving us over to what we think is going to satisfy us so that we catch that carrot. And we finally realize, actually, my soul still needs something more. I may be entertained. My bank account may be full. I may have a lot of stuff, but my soul is screaming for something more. And notice again in verse six through seven. It's in our communion with God, in our laying before him our needs and our worries and turning to him in joy, knowing that whatever happens in this life, we have life in him forevermore. That's where joy is found. And that's where fruit is produced. In John 15, seven, man, what is happening with this computer today? Nothing happening. Yeah, there you go. John 15, seven. If, we if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus has given us a picture of what the Christian life is like. When you walk out of here today and you see a tree, <laughs> I not be the most beautiful because it's January. <laughs> it might, might look struggling for a little bit, but notice the branches on those trees and imagine those branches thinking to themselves, you know what? Thinking about starting a rebellion, becoming my own tree. I'm going to cut myself off from this tree and become my own little tree. Like that's not how it works. Like, those branches live because they're connected to the vine, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. This is the source of the Christian life. This is where we blossom. This is where we bear fruit. If you cut a branch off a tree, you've cut it from the life-giving source that it desperately needs, the very thing that brings progress and change. And a lot of people today, they have this warped view of Christianity, especially living in Iceland where Christianity has been cultural for such a long time, that Christianity is all about changing your behavior, about behavioral modification. But here in our verse in, in John 15, we find, no, 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 the root of our faith is staying connected with Jesus to connect to him and once we are connected to him, that's when fruit starts to be produced in our life. That's when we start to be changed. And notice in verse seven, in our verses today, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Because in prayer, we get the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit at work in our life. In prayer, we don't merely see what we need. We don't merely see what's happening all around us, but we also see God who is with us. One of the, the blessings of my life, I saw my sister do this with her kids and I was babysitting her twins when they were tiny. And she taught me this routine to do with her kids. She, she would pray for them and she would sing Psalm 23 in Icelandic over them before they would go to sleep. So when I had kids, I was like, man, this is awesome. I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray for them, sing Psalm 23 and uh, put them to bed. And so going on 12 years now, We've been praying and we've been singing Psalm 23 for 12 years. And it's been awesome. In Psalm 23, he says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right. And what I find interesting in Psalm 23 is he's just talked about how God is leading. And yet then he talks about the valley of the shadow of death. Why would a shepherd lead you to a valley called the shadow of death? (laughs) Why would you find yourself there? And I've loved singing this Psalm every single uh, day of the last 12 years. There's been days here and there where probably we've missed some because it reminds us that the reason to be thankful is not based on the circumstances that come and go. And we've sang this psalm when someone had a birthday and we're celebrating another year of life. We've sang this psalm when we just moved into a a new apartment that we just bought and we're thankful. And it's easy to be thankful for God, for everything that he's doing in our lives. When things are going really, really well, we've sang Psalm 23. But on the other hand, we sang Psalm 23 when Mikhail was puking his guts out from chemo. We've sang Psalm 23 when we didn't know what was going on with our, our boy Solomon at the hospital and if he was going to live or if he was going to die. Like this, this was a constant reminder. Hey, it's not about the valley of the shadow of death. It's not about being on the mountaintops of life or in the valleys. It's about who is with you on the mountaintops and the valleys. Because if you see God on the mountaintops of life, you realize that even this, what the best of life has to offer is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. And in the valley, it's the same thing. It's trained me and, uh, and hopefully my kids to remember that man, if Jesus deserved my praise when everything was going well, he is the same yesterday, today and forever. He hasn't changed since yesterday, since the change of circumstances, since the mountaintop. If he deserved my praise when everything was going well, he deserves my praise right here and right now. And all of a sudden your, your, your perspective changes. All of a sudden you realize if you put this, this valley in the context to eternity, that this is the only time in all of eternity to come where you have the opportunity to praise God and it hurts, it's painful, and it's difficult through tears. So yes, we may be aware of our needs. We may be aware of our surrounding threats, but in prayer, what we do is we turn to God and don't just see the valley. We see who's with us in the valley. We remember 
that even though everything around us has changed, we have 10,000 reasons to sing, not because of our circumstances, but rather because who is with us and his ability to meet us there. And so the root of the Christian life is the good news that we have a God who loves us, who has paid for our sins, who is with us. And in dwelling with him, we start to be changed and we start to bear fruit of the Christian life, which has changed behavior and thinking, but you can't turn that around. You can't, there's danger in thinking, I need to change myself first and there and then I will deserve the good news of Jesus. You're never gonna earn that. When we see God with us, we realize even in the hardest moments of life that he has promised to work out something beautiful, something good for those who are called by him and loved by him. And we realize that sometimes when things are hard, when days are hard, it is not the same thing as bad. We realize that yes, our current circumstances have changed, but God who deserves our praise when, when we're on the mountaintops of life, he also deserves our praise today because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can be thankful because we don't simply live in the now. And I, I don't know about you, it's just I see these like Instagram posts and people posting online. and just like, what we have to do, our greatest need is to learn to live in the now. And I think back on moments in my own life where it's like the now was horrible. Like there was no joy in the now, no pleasure in the now. I needed something more than just the now. I needed to see beyond the now, to see God in the midst of it, to see the, the current fleeting circumstance in context to eternity so that I could see something to be thankful for, someone to be thankful for. See, a prayer of thankfulness and this is not sort of Eastern mysticism here where I'm just telling you to look inward, to find something to be joyful about, about yourself, but rather it equips you to live in our actual world that is broken and messed up, but in it to look not inward, but upward. Right? What I love about our faith, it doesn't tell you to ignore the pain. It doesn't tell you the pain isn't real or it's just an illusion, like many Eastern mysticists, ah, <laughs> many Eastern religions do. <laughs> this, this is all just like basically not real what you're experiencing, the pain that you're experiencing. No, no, no. Jesus allows us to see the pain and to feel the pain, but also reminds us to remember who's with us in the pain. So how can we be thankful in a broken world? Because I, I assume that most of us, man, it, turning to prayer and, and praising God for all the blessings that he brings us, I assume that's not a challenge for most of us. Like, praise you for the healing, praise you for the promotion, praise you for the new home, praise you for all these things. How can we be thankful in a broken world? Well, it is a challenge to us to be transformed in our thinking, to not listen to what the world says, to not only have hope when times are good, but to be thankful because we see God in the midst of the chaos that's happening all around us. And we see this most clearly on the cross. By any objective human standard, there is very little pleasure to see on the cross, right? If you look at the cross from purely a human perspective, you see pain, 
You see torture, you see misery, you see defeat, you see death. That's what the cross was designed to do. Like this is so odd to have a Roman torturing device right next to me, right? <laughs> but that's what it was designed to do. There was better ways to kill people. This was a way to humiliate them and make them suffer while you killed them. But if it were not for the cross, we would not have the joy of celebrating the resurrection. To know that Jesus has defeated death, that he has laid down his life on that cross as a sacrifice on our behalf to take on our shame, to take on our pain, our humiliation, our defeat and pay the debt that he had nothing to do with. So, so that he can say to any and all who will turn to Jesus as Savior and Lord, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will heal you, be forgiven, be made new. So when you face the most darkest time of your life, and I remember this because Solomon was born like the week before Easter. <laughs> it was such a beautiful, because I, I had like five minutes sitting on the church steps downtown to like put together a sermon because I just came from the hospital right next to the building. And we didn't know like what was going on. I didn't know if I was going to preach a sermon and then hear like he's no longer with us. Or, but I remember like preaching five minute sermon and just being able to dwell on the cross. Think about the hardest moments of life. If Jesus could turn this thing into a symbol of hope and victory, he can take any circumstance and do that. So when you face the most darkest time of your life, remember that even there, God can and will is promised to work it out for our good. If you look around and you see nothing going your way and really nothing to be thankful for on the outside of you or in the inside of you, look up and remember that God is with you even there. Not only is he with you, he knows the pain that you're going through. He knows what it's like to be humiliated, to be tortured, to be mocked, to be... And he did it anyway. When you grieve a loss, Remember that a lot of the time we grieve because God gave us something good to begin with that we've lost because of a broken world. And like C.S. Lewis mentioned, like there's something inside of us that screams out that we were not made for a world like this. When you experience the pain of a broken world, remember that one day your tears are going to be wiped away by the very same hands that were crucified for your sins. If you're mocked for your faith, Praise God and thankfulness because you have the good news of the kingdom that is worth being mocked for. It's worth losing business opportunities. It's worth losing popularity. It's worth losing praise of people for because you've got the acceptance of God himself who calls you a son and a daughter. Praise God and thankfulness when he blesses you with good gifts and good friends. Thank God when you get hurt by bad friends or lose physical blessings as you remember that he is a friend who never fails you. And the pain of losing physical blessings are there only because he gave you something good to begin with. Praise him remembering that the greatest blessing of all is not what he can give you, but what he's already given you in Jesus Christ. This here is not some naive, foundationless optimism. 
this thankfulness that Paul the apostle is calling us to is not masking our pain with a fake smile, but rather to know that even in this moment, even if this moment isn't pleasurable, you know that eternity will come back, will be pleasurable at all times. And James, the brother of Jesus, he put it this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Notice he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, not if, when. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Don't miss the opportunity to praise God in thanks through tears or sorrow. As you remember that this is the only time in all of eternity when, it, when you can praise God through tears. Have you, have you guys read The Pilgrim's Progress? Like anybody in here? I feel like, is that a big book in Romania, The Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah. Bunyan wrote it while he was in prison for preaching, right? He was not only, he was not even in prison for like a legit crime. Like he was preaching, he was preaching God and he was imprisoned. And he was, he was writing this book. And there's one scene where I think he's talking to Christian. He says, don't wipe away your tears, Christian. Look through the tears, because sometimes it's when you look through the tears where you see most clearly. He's worthy. He has given us reasons to be thankful even in the midst of displeasure. And I'm not asking you to ignore the pain of life, pretend it isn't there. Just remember when it comes that it can be one of two things that happens to us. The pain of life can drive you to despair and to death or to praise and thankfulness as you remember that this is a momentary affliction. Paul put it this way, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I love that this guy isn't just a philosopher writing in a comfy office somewhere. This guy knows pain. He knows loss. He's like, at one point in the Bible, he's counting of all the things that has happened to him. And this is the most unlucky guy. It's like shipwrecked three times, like three times. Like who, who gets shipwrecked three times? He's been, he's been suffering physically. He's been thrown in jail. Like, and he's saying, no, 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 this, this light and momentary affliction is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. When you face sorrow, right? He also puts it this way when he's talking about sorrow in Second Corinthians. For godly grief or grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So when we face the pain of life, we can, we can respond in two ways. There's godly grief or worldly grief. And I want to encourage you to go into this week practicing prayers of thankfulness, fixing your eyes on Jesus. I love this verse in Hebrews 12. This got me through a very difficult time in my life. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And I promise you this, there was no pleasurable moment during the suffering of Jesus while he was experiencing the pain. It wasn't like he liked the nails going through his hands or he liked the mockery, but there was joy set before him as he remembered the whole story and what it was doing. Brothers and sisters, May we be people whose joy is not dependent on fleeting pleasures or rapidly changing circumstances, but rather, uh, as one of, one of my favorite catechisms uh, says, the Heidelberg Catechism, 
one of my favorite catechisms. It's not like there's a whole lot of them, but the first question goes like this. What is your comfort in life and in death? And the beginning of the answer is like this, that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul and life and in death to my faithful savior, Jesus Christ. My prayer is that God would conform us to his will as we depend and we spend time in prayer, thanking him for the good gifts that we already have. For the breath in our lung, the beauty of a sunrise, the fruit of the labor that we get to enjoy. But may we not only see the things that are under the sun, right? If you, if you want to read a depressing book, read a book dedicated to all the things under the sun called Ecclesiastes. And let me just tell you, it's not a happy book, right? We need to see the one who is above the sun, who is the creator of everything. May we see them in light of the one who is over all, who gives everything meaning, even our dark and difficult times, and makes it so that even our hard times will not simply be promises to do something in the midst of difficult periods. And let me confess, as I was preparing this sermon, there's some sermons I have to preach and I feel like a hypocrite, right? There, I was working on this sermon and I was thinking about difficult moments that I've just experienced in, you know, in the context of the last few weeks. And I'm like, man, I was not thankful. I did not use the opportunity to praise God, but God make me this way. Help me grow in this. Help me just not have hope like everybody around me does. Like the, help me not just have peace like the world offers. Help me that people would not only hear me speak of Jesus, but see Jesus as they see the peace that surpasses understanding, thankfulness coming out of a broken heart. There have been times where I've not been able to remember God in good times. Remembering that even the best blessings of life are nothing compared to what is to come. In the bad times when I remember that his grace is sufficient even now, and I have a reason to be thankful. But there have also been times where I, 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 yeah, where I have failed to do all these things. And I pray that God will forgive me. And I know that's probably the reality for most of us. Anybody in here been perfectly thankful all their life? <laughs> I pray that God would forgive us and that as we go out into this week, that we would have this supernatural joy. It's not just based on our current fleeting circumstances. I pray that we would be connected to the vine as John 15 says, and that we would see the fruit of the Holy Spirit bear in our life as we remember that, you know, it's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control not because our aim is to change our behavior, but rather to be connected with Jesus who all of a sudden starts to change us and bear fruit in our life. And while churches can be good at getting angry and fractures and full of infighting, like, again, I don't want to talk about the brother and sister from, uh, from uh, Ireland here <laughs> all the time, but we're just thinking about that. And just all throughout like church history, churches have been really, really good at infighting. I pray that God would cultivate in us and individuals as, and as, as a corporate church, thankfulness and settle disunity among us now and in the years to come because we're all fixed, not only on the problems that we see all around us, but rather the glory of our savior. May we draw closer to each other corporately as we draw closer to God together. 
And as we look to Christ in communion, that's the whole point. We want to be fixed on Jesus. We want to be transformed by Jesus. That he would help us to praise him on the mountaintops and, and with cheerful and loud thanks and in the valley with bitter cries, still remember that we have a reason to be thankful as we see this in the context of eternity that will be beautiful all the time. Father, would you help us be satisfied in you no matter how our circumstances change? Would you help us glorify you as we remember you, as we see the people around us that, Father, may we glorify you as people see that we are ultimately just satisfied in you. We want to be where you are. Father, as you heal our bodies, our wounds, our souls, may we praise you with thankful cheers by sharing it with people around us. And when our prayers are not answered according to our will, may we pray as Jesus prayed, your will be done. And to remember that in the midst of our troubles, your grace is sufficient. And your grace secures an end to our troubles for eternity to come. Help us grow in being thankful as your people, as your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.